if you're, if you're new with us, we're in a study of some Old Testament Bible characters. Uh, we found that there is a, a great uh, drought uh, among Christians today about understanding who the people in the Bible are. And uh, one of the fascinating things, hey, Jeremy, remind me next week, uh, wherever he went behind the scenes, Chris, remind me to remind Jeremy next week, uh, push out somewhere. We took a poll a few weeks ago, a test we did about certain Bible knowledge things. And several of you have asked me about how did we score as a congregation. Just remind me and I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, so as we study these Old Testament characters, we're using the list found in Hebrews, New Testament, as he looks to Old Testament heroes of faith. The author of Hebrews is giving us real people who lived by faith so we can look at their lives, not to emulate everything they did, but to look at their lives and see something about their faith that connects with us, something that we can do to be people of faith. What they did, why they were called people of faith, is they took God at his word. When God said it, they believed it, they acted on it, and God said, I'm crediting that to their account as if it were righteousness right there. I approve them because they are people of faith. I'm reading now from Hebrews 11 and uh, verse number 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Now, Isaac is Abraham's son. We've been talking about Abraham. These are the next set of characters, the next generations. Abraham's son Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons, concerning things to come. It's talking about what God was going to do with his people. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And if I can get as far as I need to this morning, Pastor Jeremy's going to talk about Joseph next week. And he worshiped leaning on top of his staff. And this is a deathbed scene of him, of old Jacob, sitting up in the bed, leaning on his staff, and blessing the sons of Joseph in Egypt, where they have come to sojourn. Now, that's the story, though, that's coming. Let me recap in a paragraph last week. The author of Hebrews spent a lot of time in chapter 11 talking about two particular characters, Abraham and Sarah. And rightly so, because Abraham is incredibly important to the Bible story. It's mentioned like 77 times in, in your New Testament. I mean, he's an incredible character, incredibly important to the story. And here's why. Abraham is called the father of the people of God. Now that's like patriarch, Sarah the matriarch. This is the father of God's people. Now we often think of Abraham father of the Jews, but Israel is not biological in the mind of God. Israel is an idea that God would have a people and it wouldn't just be, here's the plot twist, Abraham is not just the father of the Jews, he's the father of all those who believe by faith. Have you believed on Jesus Christ by faith? Abraham is then your father. That's the story the Bible's telling. He's father of Israel, yes, but he's father of us all if you're a believer by faith. <clears throat> so sometimes we think, well, you know, what's our relationship to Israel and the Jews and, and Abraham? And I'm not Jewish, I'm a Gentile. And how does that all work? Now you understand how it all works. God's people is a concept 
and biologic Israel, biologic Abraham's children, was never the big game. The big game is that the Gentiles would be included, like branches, wild branches grafted into an olive tree. The outsiders, you and I, the aliens, would get in. We're the outsiders who break into the family of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. So now the author moves quickly. He's dealt with Abraham and Sarah for a long time. And he's just quickly going to mention Abraham's son, Isaac. This is the one that was offered, remember, and God saved his life. Now he's a grown man. Uh, and, and the author is now going to deal with Isaac. And then Isaac's uh, sons, Jacob and Esau. This is the son of Abraham, the grandsons of Abraham. And then next week, Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel, which are the great grandsons of Abraham. Now let me summarize some chapters for you. This is fascinating reading. And after hearing these sermons, if you go read like Genesis 24 and, and go about 10 chapters, the whole story will come alive right before your eyes on the pages of your Bible. But in Genesis chapter 24, that tells the story of how Abraham now says, my son's grown, he's at marrying age, and he gets Eliezer, his servant, and he says, servant, here's some uh, 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 money, here's some gold, here's some bracelets, here's some earrings, here's some clothes. Here's some treasure. You mount up with a group of guys and you go back to our people. Go back to the, the, the Near East or the Chaldees. Go across the lands to our own people and, and take a wife. Find a bride for my grown son, Isaac. Now what you read on Genesis 24 and going forward is that marriage process happening. The Eastern, the Near Eastern practice of the arranged marriage now you've heard me talk about this before this is very interesting reading to me uh, how something so fundamental to our society as marriage something that's a part of our culture here uh, you know dating and marriage and whatever it's just a part of who we are and how our lives but how we do it is incredibly incredibly different so culturally different from the way it was done in the ancient Near East and the way it's still being done in countries like, like India and Sri Lanka and other places like that. So I want to, I wanna again, put things in perspective for you. The Bible was not written to you. The Bible was preserved for you to know the message of God. But you have to use a lot of wisdom when you approach the Bible. The Bible is not presenting this behavior as something that you should repeat. In other words, the Bible's not saying, here, read Genesis and then go do everything that's in Genesis. If you do everything that's in Genesis, you'll be in the penitentiary. Okay? Or dead. I mean, you, you absolutely should not do the things that are talked about in the book of Genesis. Our culture has a very different way uh, of meeting people and, and, and dating people and falling in love and getting engaged and, and marrying. In the ancient Near East, didn't work that way in the ancient near east the family patriarch and the family matriarchs they arranged marriages for their sons and daughters parents sat together over tea went down to the local starbucks and ordered a coffee in the near east and sat there and arranged a marriage for their children listen it was very common that young men and young women like yourselves were put into marriages with complete strangers Hi, it's good to meet you. 
Are you ready to go to the bridal chamber? Now, you think dating's awkward. I mean, this is really awkward. And, uh, but I would say this, arranged marriages have a higher percent success rate than American marriages. So does anybody want to switch systems? Say no. No. Okay, we'll just keep muddling along the way we're doing. No, you do not. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Again, the Bible is not written as a statement against dating. You say, well, I don't find dating in the Bible. Well, you don't find a lot of things in the Bible. But that doesn't mean they're wrong for you. It's not, the, the Bible's not against dating. They didn't date. But it doesn't mean you can't. Neither is the Bible saying that you would, should reform American cultural practices regarding dating and marriage and start arranging the marriages of your children. I think you'll have a wholesale rebellion on your hands should you attempt it. Now, in the Near East and, and the Far East, the fathers were offering substantial dowries for people to take and marry their daughters because they were different than the boys. Uh, the boys could earn money in a different way. The daughters were considered a burden, and so you had to pay somebody to take your daughter off your hands. We find this abhorrent. We do not sell our daughters. Our daughters are not commodities to be sold to some stranger so that they will take them off of our hands and bear that family as many children as they can possibly bear uh, until her womb dries up and then they put her out. And, and Listen, it, if you're widowed and can't bear, you're kicked out on the streets today in countries like India. They become some of the people that we have to, to care for. So all I'm saying is main proper perspective when you're reading these ancient practices, that was then, this is now. And they're not the same worlds. They're very different cultural worlds. Many of the practices you read about on the pages of your Bible, especially the Old Testament, you must relegate those practices to the past. Now this is what gets confusing. It's why I spend a lot of times with our young leaders here at church going through books like Blue Parakeet and talking to them about how to interpret Scripture. Every Christian need, needs to have discussions with like disciple makers, people you look up to as spiritual mentors in your life, about how to pick and choose when you read portions of Scripture and which ones need to be applied to today and which ones do not. I sometimes hear the people from my past, the tradition I grow up in, posting nonsense on Facebook and putting nonsense out there that we, we must obey everything in the Bible, we should not pick and choose. No, that's completely wrong. Listen, they killed men, women, and children in genocide in the conquest of the promised land. That is abhorrent. You should never do that. They sold their children. You should never do that. They offered their children as sacrifices to false gods. You should never do that. They had a bunch and bunch of wives. You should never do that. It's going to cause a mess for you. Okay? Wives and husbands and kids, the whole way around, as you'll see in just a moment. So you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know, you, you get to just go through like a cafeteria and decide what Bible you want to apply. It's not like that. You need to sit down with a disciple maker, someone who's reading good exegesis books and hermeneutical books, and they can show you how, because you don't randomly pick and choose what to apply. There's actually a system to this, and you know, need, need to know how to do it and maintain a high view of Scripture 
not everything in the Bible is to be applied to your life. Guys, there's rules in the Old Testament about, you got a beautiful beard over there. There's rules in the Bible about how to trim your beard. I assume you're not following them. Yeah, does that mean you're not a, a, a God's people? No, it means you live in a different culture. We have more beard products than they ever thought about having. Our beards are healthier and nicer and more groomed and you know what I'm saying. Less lice and all of that. Okay, uh, so, so now here's what I want to do. I want to leave Abraham behind and I want to go to his son Isaac and I think I can tell the story, the high points of Isaac just this quick. Are you ready? Isaac, the summary of his life, this is that promised child to Abraham and Sarah. He's grown up now. They send Eliezer off to get him a wife. They bring back Rebecca. It's an arranged marriage. Okay? I've caught you up with the story now. Isaac's story is in a couple of parts. Number one, Isaac did what his dad did. And I talked to you parents last week about modeled behavior in your home. Model correct behavior in your home. If nothing else, model love for your spouses so that your children understand they've grown up in an environment of love not an environment. If you are yellers and screamers, then you need to get on your knees this morning, rededicate your life to Christ, and say, we've got to change the tone in our home. And some of you are yellers and screamers. It's the way you show your love to each other. Okay? Passionate discussions. The problem is your children are not able to interpret that. They don't know how to deal with that. And if they grow up in, a, in an environment where they per perceived anger and constant raised voices or even violence uh, i've heard listen i i talk to the kids all the time i i high five them and interact with them and you know and listen to them and you know i, I heard i heard a little boy say uh you know if it was in our church preschool or it was up here i heard a little boy say yeah if you lie you get your mouth smacked uh I, I, you know that's probably not terrible but i've just raised a little antenna with me and i want to i want to be be cautious to say to some of our families we came up in a different world ladies and gentlemen i mean my dad used to tell me yeah my dad would go cut a limb off a tree and wear me out with it yeah you do that today and see what happens okay and i know a lot of you grew up in a very tough love environment i did i wore out several belts on my backside you understand what i'm saying i was a terrible kid and uh, my parents were disciplinarians. My father was harsh on this. I think he was wrong. I love him. I think he was wrong. Okay? There are times when your kids need a little corporal attention. But at some point, that cannot be the answer to everything. Okay? And I just want to send some love out. You, you find the balance you need as parents... And you model Christ in that home, okay? Because Abraham and Sarah modeled some things for Isaac, he's his own man now, he's going to have certain behaviors. And watch this. Listen, when you see strange things in the Bible, you need to say, why did Moses say that? Why did Moses bring this up? Watch what Moses is about to bring up. Genesis 26. So Isaac, the grown man now, settled in Gerar, and while the men of that place asked about his wife, he said to the men of that place, go ahead and say it out loud. Does your head want to explode right now? She is my sister. 
for he was afraid to say, she's my wife, thinking the men of this place will kill me on account of Rebekah, why she's a 10. Now, I don't know what family tree Abraham's got going over in Haran, but every woman that comes out of there, except for one I'm going to talk about in a minute, almost all of them are 10s, okay? Now, I just want to caution the congregation, I don't give this kind of advice very often. (laughs) There's baggage that comes with a 10. If she's a 10 on the look scale, she's also a 10 on the psycho scale, okay? (laughs) Now, I say that as a big generalization, and I'm sure you 10s are all the exception to the rule, okay? Find you a solid 8, okay? All right, so he gets it, so the servant arranges a marriage with a 10, marries him to, to I, so now he's sojourning in the promised land. One of these tribal kings, city kings, meets him, and he says, yeah, that's my sister. Afraid. Now, you say, why is Moses bringing this up? Do you see he brought it up on purpose? So that for the third time you've heard this? What is Moses trying to say to us? Like, Father, modeled behavior. Your family has patterns of making wrong decisions. Your families have patterns of addictions. Your families have patterns of abuse. You have patterns that you observed how your mom and dad dealt with each other and your siblings. Some of them were fantastic. Some of them were horrible. Smash the horrible ones. And never repeat them for another generation. But you know what? That's hard because you find yourself talking and you're like, you'll say things sometimes. You're like, oh, I sound just like my mother. I sound just like my father. Yes, you do. Because that's your default mode. Whatever was patterned before you is hard to break out of. So he's lying and he's doing the same thing that his dad did. And it messed up his dad's testimony and it's going to cause a problem for him. And he's going to have to get it right and apologize and make it all right. And you already can fast forward. He does. Now let me give you the good side. Isaac also did what his father Abraham did. And sometimes that's a good thing. Abraham was a good businessman, an entrepreneur, and a good humanitarian. He was blessed, but he blessed everybody around him. One of the things Abraham was known for is being a well digger. He went into a dry, arid country... And the first thing he did, it says, what are the big needs here? There's no water. Let's get into the water business, okay? And so he got his family into the well digging business. And they began, and listen, if there's a well, you can be a blessing to the, like our orphanage in, in Myanmar. You can be a blessing to the whole community suddenly. Listen, uh, we, we've gone into villages before and said, we'll drill a well here if you'll give us that site for a church and we'll let everybody come to the church to get free water in the front yard. You see what I'm saying? We'll give them the water for life, and we'll give them the water of life all at the same time in one location. Just a one-stop shop for Jesus and water, okay? And and that's a beautiful thing to be a blessing and give freely of the essentials of life. And Isaac took up the mantle of his daddy. Let me read it to you quickly. Uh, Genesis 26, 18. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham that the Philistines had stopped up. After Abraham died, he gave them the same names that his father had given them. So first thing he did was cleaned out all the wells that the idolaters had filled in and got the water flowing again. Now read further, verse 19. 
Not only did Isaac renew the work of his father, but he advanced the work of his father far beyond what his father ever did. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and they found a well spring of water there. Verse 21, and they dug another well and they came and quarreled over that one also. 22, and he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, and he named it Rehoboth and said, For now the Lord has made space for us. We will be fruitful in the land. Now here's my takeaway, because I'm asking myself, why did Moses record this? He wants to show you some pattern behavior here, that he's doing what his dad did. Sometimes that's bad, but he's doing beyond what his dad did when it comes to doing good. Is anybody feeling that love right there? You say, well, he's being critical. No, he's not being critical. He's saying... Here's what he's saying. I'm going to put it in your context. Many of you come from Christian families. It was your parents that built facilities like this. They gave your parents to build and buy and advance Christ in your community. They gave to build the orphanages that we've built overseas. Your parents gave to build the school we have in Romania. Your parents gave to do the great work that we have done generously they advanced the ministry it was your parents that taught all of those sunday school classes in the churches where we grew up it was your parents that came up on saturdays and spent an hour cleaning the church and getting it ready for sunday it was your parents who mowed the churchyard it was your parents who planted the flowers in the flower beds and made the house of god look beautiful on worship day it was your parents who took food to the sick and who cared for hurting families. It was your parents who opened their homes for fellowships where the people of God could gather for Christian fellowship at their kitchen table. And it was your parents who have learned to make disciples here at Cornerstone. And what I'm challenging you this morning is for the young adults of this congregation to take up the reins of spiritual leadership here in this place and you fall on your knees today in this service and you tell God, God, if you will be with me, I want to do the works of my parents, but I want to personally take up the mission of Christ and I want to go further than my parents went. I want to take the work of Christ beyond what my parents did. God, if you will be with me, I want to do more than my mom and dad did for the kingdom of God. Listen, it's okay. Do a little bargaining this morning. Fall on your face and say, God, if you'll be with me, and if you'll bless me, and God, if you'll pour on me a blessing, I will pour it back out to the world that needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the story now that Moses is telling. And the story moves ahead very quickly. Isaac and Rebekah replay a familiar theme from the book of Genesis. She's barren and cannot have children. It just keeps happening all through these Old Testament passages. And Isaac comes to God and has a time of prayer. And as they pray, God opens her womb and blesses them with children. Not only does she conceive a child, she conceives twins. I'm reading from Genesis 25, verse 24. And when time came for her to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. Now this next sentence is something you never want your husband to say to you when you say well how's the baby the first one came out red looking covered with hair like a fur coat 
How is he, honey? He's red and hairy. He looks like he's wearing a fur coat. Now, isn't that something? Now, you may have seen some ugly babies, but you haven't seen this one, okay? Red, hairy, it looks like a wild animal, okay? And as uh, Esau is coming out of the birth canal, Jacob, the next baby, has a halt of his ankle. And this is recorded in scriptures, a very unusual situation. And after this, the brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Now, here's what you need to know. Give it to you, summary form. Esau now turns out to be a macho man. If you've seen Beauty and the Beast, he's Gaston. He's especially good at hunting and expectorating, okay? Uh, and you know, if you've got that picture in your mind, take French Gaston, cover him in hair, and give him red hair and red skin, okay? That's uh, Esau. He's this macho hunter man, and they all called him Red, okay? That's what his name means, Red. Where's Red? Uh, he's out there deer hunting again. His dad loves that venison, okay? And dad loved Red more than he loved the other boy, and the favoritism was blatant. Jacob is described in the scripture as a quiet cowboy. So for those of you in Texas, this should be easy. He's a quiet guy, doesn't say a lot. He's a cowboy, and if you read the story, that's his specialty. Uh, for all of his adult life, he's going to be, you know, a, 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 a cattleman and a rancher. This is his, his calling, but he's super smart, and he is a wily con man. He's a quiet cowboy, and the gears are always spinning about how to get ahead. He's always working an angle. And if you're not, you would not want to leave your checkbook or your wallet laying around with this guy in the house, okay? He, he, he's always looking at an angle to get ahead of you. All right, so now that takes us to the story where Jacob cons his brother Esau and his father Isaac. Now, I'm encapsulating chapters here. This is Genesis chapter 25. Esau was out hunting, but, but let me just tell you, that, that's not the whole story here. Uh... Esau doesn't give a rip about being God's people. This is the real language to use on you. He just doesn't give a rip. We're God's people. Esau's like, whatever. Like, what, that, like that puts food on the table, you know? And so he's this big-time outdoorsman. Uh, you know, he's a hunter. He's a fisher. He's a guy out there in the outdoors. And uh, this manly man who just doesn't give a rip about being a church man. He just doesn't care about being a, 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 a God's people. He doesn't even give a rip that he comes from a covenant family. He doesn't care that his family is special. He doesn't care about Father Abraham and Isaac. He, he just could care less. So he comes in tired from a hunting expedition, hadn't eaten in days, so evidently didn't have too much luck. And as he comes into the ranch, Jacob's in there with wolf brand chili jalapeno cornbread, onions, cheddar cheese shredded in a bowl, dollop of sour cream, you get the picture, big pitcher of tea, and he comes in just famished from being out in the woods for days, and, and Jacob says, you know, brother, you don't give a rip about being God's people, 
why don't you just sell me the birthright right now? Let's make a deal. We'll just write you out of the will since you don't give a rip about being a leader of a family. And we'll just write me right in. And I'll sell it to you for a steaming hot bowl of wolf brand chili. And Esau says, I don't give a rip about covenants and creeds and God's people. Just bring the chili and some cheddar cheese. Just bring that. And that's the kind of guy that Esau was. So he cons his brother. Now listen, this is a big con. Because in that moment, Jacob knew what the birthright meant and Esau didn't. He was... Those of you who are growing up in a Christian home don't know what you've got. You don't know what you've got. I'll just say it that way. And furthermore, he didn't care what he had. He's going to do what he wanted to do. And as soon as he got of age, he's going to marry who he wanted to marry. And he didn't care that his parents were Christians. It meant nothing to him to break their hearts. It meant nothing to them to marry all the wrong women. It's all recorded. And it's, this thing reads like a run-in telenovela, man. Uh, Jacob was listening to his mother. And his mother says, okay, con boy. Cowboy, you go in there right now, and, and I think you've got Esau on the hook. Let's get Dad on the hook. And Jacob goes in and puts hair on his arms, kill, kills goats and puts the skin on him. So he's all hairy, and he goes in there. His dad's blind. He's an old man. He's lost his vision. And the dad says, you sound like Jacob. He said, yeah, but I'm Esau. <laughs> he said, well, you smell like Jacob. Yeah, but I'm Esau. He keeps lying to his dad about who he is. And he said, Dad, put your hands on me. Let's change, not change in the will, but put your hands on me and give me the blessing verbally. There wasn't a written will. The verbal was everything. And when he conned his dad and his brother, he got all of the blessing and the birthright. But here's how the story ends. Genesis 27. And Esau held a grudge against Jacob because the blessing the father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of my mourning for my father are pro Dad's about to die. And I'm going to mourn for my dad. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, there's just a summary of life. What are you going to be doing the next few weeks? Well, I'm waiting for dad to die. We're going to cry while I'm going to go murder my brother. That's what my, that's my appointments for the next few months, okay? Mom hears about it. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said, listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself right now about planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. You pack your go bag and you flee at once to Uncle Laban in Haran, my brother, and you stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides. Now, I'll give you the real summary of this few days turned into 20 years you can say you know so and so hurt my feelings down there at church I'm gonna lay out for a few weeks and 20 years later find you have no prayer life you've not made any disciples you've been sidelined in the complete story of God because you refuse to speak your lines and play your part and play the role that God had designed for you it's very easy days turn into years very quickly Especially so as you start to age. I remember sitting in the classroom as a young man and watching the clock. It seemed like the hands never moved. 
especially in detention hall. And now time goes past me like a bullet train going by a stationary object. Folks, it's March. I feel like I've lost like two years in the last few weeks. I mean, just where did last year go? And the year before that, and time's moving, and what are we doing to advance the cause of our Lord and Savior? He did not put you here to be comfortable he put you here on mission. You are colonizers of planet earth for the kingdom of heaven. You are not here to be like the rest of the world. You have a mission. So he saddles his horse and his go bag and boom, across the, the, the countries to Uncle Laban's house. He's never met him, Sister's, uh, his mother's brother. And so as he rides now, he stops to rest and Jacob meets God. I'm just giving you the big points now. As he lays down to sleep at night on the lamb, he takes a stone and he makes it for his pillow. Now this is about 1883. This is, this is pioneering now. We're out in the wilderness here. Now listen to the story. And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from the place and he put it there at his head, and he lay down in that place, and he dreamed. And a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching into the sky. God's angels were going up and down on it. It's a giant staircase. And the Lord was standing there beside him. Listen to the words of the Lord now. I am the Lord God of your father Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I will give you, I am, and because I am, I can do this. Does that make sense? Some great language here. I am able to do what I do. Now watch what I will do. And watch God use this language. And I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and spread out towards the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed because of you and your offspring. Look, I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. Because I'm God, I will bring you back into this land. Because I am God, I will not leave you until I've accomplished my purpose in your life. That's beautiful, and I wish you would study that and pray that. You just pray through that with God and say, God, this is, what you, this is who you are, and this is what I want you to do in my life. Now watch what Jacob does. Verse 19, and he named the place, translate it for me, the house of God. He named the place, by this term again, Bethel, the house of God. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow. Man, I hope some people make a vow today to God. Jacob made a vow and he said, okay, I've heard you, God, who you are and what you're going to do. And I believe that's true. And God, if you will be with me and watch over me on the journey I'm making, and if you will provide food to eat and clothing for me to wear, and if I can return safely to, back to this father's family, Lord, you are going to be my God. And this stone that I have set up as my pillow is now a marker between you and me. This is God's house. And I will give a tenth of all that I possess to you. 
People often ask me, where's tithing in the Bible? Well, there it is right there. Tithe means tenth. Watch Jacob say to God, God, a portion of what you've given to me, I will give it back to you. God, you have spoken. I have heard you. You said you'll protect, you'll provide, you'll never leave me, you'll be with me the whole way. So God, I'm going to take you at your word. This is the very definition of faith. I will take you at your word, and I will act on your word, and I will believe in you, and I will worship you, and God, I'll give a portion to you. You say, what does God want from us? I think you're kind of drilling down on it right now. Jacob's a con man, though, and now the con man's about to get conned. Isn't it funny how that happens in life sometimes? Jacob arrives in Haran now. He asks the shepherds there when he pulls into town, hey, any of you shepherds uh, know a guy named Haran, uh, 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 named Laban here in Haran? That's my uncle, and I'm trying to meet him. I don't know what he looks like. I've never met him. Does anybody know this guy? Verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 9. And while Jacob was speaking to the shepherds, Rachel came near with her father's sheep, Say it out loud, for she was a, now Jeremy and I have tried to tell you this several times and y'all have argued with us. You know how you get these wrong pictures in your mind because of Christmas cards. How do you know the shepherds were men? You say, because I've got Christmas cards for 54 years and they're always men. Listen, the people who make the Christmas cards are not, this is, they're not the historically accurate record. If your father was a rancher and you're a female then you grow up grew up riding a horse and knowing how to brand a cow if your father was a shepherd and had sheep and you're a independent young woman then you're a shepherdess you're a shepherd as well there were many women shepherds and it didn't it did male or female doesn't matter if your family's in the sheep business you're shepherds that's the bottom line their family are in the sheep and cattle business and so here comes Rachel right now, a shepherdess, the daughter, this would be his first cousin, daughter with the sheep. And he told Rachel, I'm your father's relative, I'm Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. And when Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. And he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he took him to the house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. And Laban said, yes, you're my own flesh and blood, nephew. And after Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said, just because you're my relative, should you work for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. I want to hire you. You seem to be a good cowboy. Now Laban had two daughters. Oh, here we go. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Watch this in the New Living Translation. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But there was magic in Rachel's hips. You seeing that? She was shapely and she was beautiful. And uh, you, when, when, when he rode up and saw the shepherdess with her sheep, he said, right there. Right there is my girl. This is love at first sight. Uh, and, and from his, that moment, he had in mind that he wanted Rachel to be his wife. Watch verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel. And so he answered, Laban, I'll work seven years. 
for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I don't know what to do with this other than to tell you he really loved her. Because I don't think this is the right practice. I don't think you should sell your daughter. I don't think you should manipulate your future sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws. I don't think that's appropriate. But this is Bible, and this is the part you're not supposed to apply, okay? But what I want to show you is he really loved her. He said, I'll work seven years for her, and Laban's like, score. I got the, one of the best ranch hands in the Near East who's going to run my cattle business, and I got him for a song. I was going to marry this girl off anyway. Now I'm going to get seven years of, of cowboying out of this guy. And so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, verse 20, and they seemed like a few days because of the love that he had for her. Isn't that beautiful? Then Jacob said to Laban, since my time has come, I've been Xing the days off the calendar. Since my time has come, give me my wife. I will go and sleep with her. So Laban invited all the men. They had a big feast. Verse 23, con man gets conned. That evening, Laban took his daughter, not Rachel, Leah, and put her into Jacob's tent, and Jacob slept with her. Now, I have so many questions, I don't have time to raise them. <laughs> How do you not know this is the wrong girl? After seven years of pining for the one, you get the other in your bed. Are there no lights anywhere in the house? Is she totally availed during the whole consummation process? I just have a lot of questions. Didn't you recognize those hips? Weren't those hips that were described in the New Living Translation? I mean, I, I got a lot of questions. Was it a big party that went late into the night and everyone's kind of inebriated? There's a lot of questions I have, okay? But I'll just get to the answers the con man Jacob gets conned by his uncle and the wrong woman's in his bed when he wakes up in the morning. And Laban gave Zilpha his daughter to Leah as her slave. I don't condone slavery. Okay? These are old days. You should never practice this. And when morning came, watch what the Bible says. Poof! There was Leah. You don't think Moses has a bit of a sense of humor. So he said to Laban, Laban! What is this you have done? You see Jacob running out with the bedsheet around him through the village. What the heck's happening here? This is the ugly one. What have you done to me? Wasn't it Rachel that I worked for? You have deceived me. Oh, Laban's sharp. And Laban says, well, you can't give the younger before the elder. But I'll tell you what, if you'll work seven more years for me, I'll give you the other one too. So Laban gets another seven years out of Jacob to get Rachel, the woman he loves. That's a pretty big con, 14 years. How, how bitter would you be? Let me just ask you a personal question. How bitter would you be? And how many times would you lay in bed thinking, I'll get that sucker. I will, I will cut the saddle straps on his horse. I will, I'll key his horse. <laughs> uh, I'll bust the headlights. I'll, I mean, can you imagine? I'll put sugar in the gas tank. You just, I'm just thinking human nature now. The con man's like, gosh, I didn't see that coming. He played me. What a fool I, I was. But here's what's going to happen. Jacob is going to end up with four wives. Rachel and Leah and Zilpha and Bilhah, the two handmaids, becomes wives also in this 
abhorrent Old Testament practice. I'm not recommending this. He ends up with four wives. And from these four wives, they're going to birth sons and daughters, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you're in church and somebody says, the 12 tribes, these are the kids that are about to be born from Jacob and the union with these four women. Familiar Bible theme will replay itself. Rachel's barren and cannot have children. They'll eventually pray for her, and God will give her two sons as well. Here's what you need to know. The home is filled with jealousy. The home is filled with favoritism. No one has the courage to break the old sinful patterns of Jacob's family or Laban's family. The daughters bring their old wicked dad's behavior, and uh, uh, Jacob brings his old family behavior, and nobody's, they're not in a good New Testament church where they're surrounded by disciple makers and, and a loving staff who's begging them, break these old patterns. Do not show favoritism to your children. Do not show favoritism. Listen, any sibling that got dad's attention was a target on their back from the other kids. This is the way the system worked. Jacob is blatant about loving Rachel more than he loves Leah. And it's Leah that's producing all the kids. And Leah's going, bah, 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 bah. you hate me, but God loves me. Look at all these kids that are coming out of me. And that's what's playing out on the pages of your Bible. Nonetheless, Jacob is going to love the two sons that are coming from Rachel, Benjamin and Joseph, more than all the other children. And it sets the stage for a volatile home life. You should never emulate this. Now here's what I'm trying to say to you. In spite of all of this, these incredibly flawed people are God's people. And you say, Pastor, these people are messed up. Yeah, and I'm looking at a whole other batch right here. And you're looking right back at another batch right here. Now, I want you to forever put out of your head this thinking that says, well, these people in the Bible, uh, they're up here on some pedestal of clean living and spirituality, and, and, and they have a connection and relationship with God that's way beyond anything I can ever do. Stop it now. You have a better shot at a relationship with God than they ever had because now in your era, the Holy Spirit of God lives in your heart. You should be doing greater works than these people ever did. We should have a greater display of faith in this generation than any generation of Christians who have ever lived. Your flaws do not disqualify you from being God's people. You are God's people by faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to make a million mistakes. I pray you won't. You probably will. You say, what's God going to do to me? It's all under the blood, ladies and gentlemen. He will forgive you, he'll restore you, and he'll give you a lifetime full of do-overs. Now that's not a license to sin and, and go crazy, but it's an encouraging message that when you mess up, you are one moment of repentance away from a turning point in your life. These moments like this this morning become the pivot points. For our lives now to take that shift we needed to take and turn a new direction. If you'll be patient, I want to go just a smidge further. Are you okay with that? Because now Laban gets conned by his daughters. Laban's about to get conned by the kids. Rachel and Leah's father, during this 20 years now, seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, four years for the cattle, okay, 
oh, sorry, six years for the cattle, 20 years total, Laban has changed Jacob's wages 10 times trying to cheat him. He's mistreated his daughters. He's spent all of their fortunes. He has sold them like property. And Jacob comes to them and says, girls, come here, let's huddle out in the field. Clandestine meeting. And in this clandestine meeting, he says to his two wives, he said, I got a really bad feeling that we are slaves of your fathers and he ain't ever going to let us leave. We got to break out of this prison we're in. Now, it's hard to make application, but I want to give this one to you. You may feel like you're trapped in your life. You're not. You're just a few good decisions away from a whole new future. You're just a few decisions away from making a pivot and living the life of freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. And he huddles with his wives and he says, let's get out of Dodge. He says, here's long as you go pack everything. Don't tell anybody. And as soon as the sun sets, we're going we're gonna to pack up. And this will be a ghost town when they get here tomorrow. And we'll be three countries away by the time the sun comes up. We're going to drive our herds. We're going to get the cowboys saddled up. We're going to drive the herds. They'll never know we're gone until we're long gone. The girl said, we're with you, honey. Let's get out of here. And so the sun comes up. And when the sun comes up, the dad, Laban, says, where are they all at? Oh, no, they've broken out of jail. I was manipulating them and getting rich off of them, and they've broken out of jail. He forms a posse of cowboys, and they chase after the daughters, the cattle, and the son-in-law for seven days in a running posse until they finally caught Jacob, the cattle, and his family in a little town called Mizpah. You're going to love this. And Laban, when he caught Jacob, here's the conversation. I'm going to read it to you fascinating and Laban said to Jacob what the heck son-in-law what have you done you've deceived me and taken my daughters like prisoners of war why did you secretly flee from me and deceive me and not tell me gosh if you had told me you wanted a new life and a fresh start I would have sent you away with joy and singing and tambourines and lyres Liar is the right answer on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, what, what a liar. But you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have acted foolishly. I could do you great harm, boy. But the problem is, in a dream last night, God appeared to me and he said to me, you better not, here's actually God's words, watch yourself. Do not say anything to Jacob, good or bad. If you touch a hair of that boy's head, God said in a dream to Laban, your goose is cooked. And it was scary enough of a dream that he obeyed it, okay? Remember the promise God made Jacob, I'll be with you, and I'll bring you back, and nobody's going to touch a hair on your head. Verse 30, now you have gone off because you long for your father's family. Okay, fine, 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 fine. But here's my big charge against you then. Why have you stolen my gods? When we woke up this morning, the idols were missing from my tent. Why did you steal my idols? And Jacob answered and said, listen, I was afraid for I thought you would take your daughters by force. But as to your gods, I don't know anything about that. If you find your gods with anyone here in my camp, he will not live. Before our relatives 
I want you to point out anything that is yours and you take it. Plot twist. Jacob did not know that Rachel, his beloved wife, had stolen her daddy's idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and the tents of the two concubines, and he found nothing. And when he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, family gods, and she had put them into the saddlebag of her camel, and she was sitting on them. Okay, you got the picture in your head? She's sitting on her camel, her saddlebags are underneath her, her skirt spread out on top of her saddlebags. Laban searched the tent and found nothing. And then the daughter says to her daddy, Don't be angry, my lord. I cannot stand up in your presence. For I'm having my period. She played the woman card. You say, where are the idols? She's sitting on them. Now, you just talk about drama. Some people tell me, you know, the Bible's so boring, Pastor. I'm like, I don't know what Bible you're reading. This would make a great movie right here, okay? And uh, so she's like, yeah, I can't. It'll embarrass us all if I stand up. You don't want to see what's under there. Yeah. And Dad's like, I get it, honey. They never did find the idols. Rachel took the family idols all the way back to the promised land. They'll show up here in just a minute. And so now... Can you see the tension? Verse 36. Then Jacob became incensed. He's losing his junk right now, man. And he's like, you brought charges against me. Listen, what is my crime? He said to Laban, what is my sin that you have pursued me with an army? You've searched all of my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here in front of my relatives and yours and let them decide between us, you jerk. My words added. Verse 41. For 20 years I served you in your household. 14 years for the daughters, 6 years for the flocks. You've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and God has seen my hard work and he answered you with his verdict last night in your dream. Verse 44. Watch Jacob find his voice now. Quiet man. Quiet man comes alive, doesn't he? Verse 44, come, let us make a covenant and let it be witness between the two of us. So Jacob picked up a stone as a marker and he set it there between the two parties. Verse 48, and Laban said, this mound is witness between you and me. Verse 49, we're going to call the place Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sights. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God is witness between you and me. 51. And Laban also said to Jacob, look at this marker, the mound I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and the marker is a witness that I should not pass over the mound to you, and you will not pass over the mound to me to do me harm. Now, do you get the sense of what's happening right here? They put a stone between them, and they've said, you take your men, and you ride back to your house and leave us alone. 
and don't ever cross this Travis line in the sand. That make sense? And you don't come after us and we won't come after you. And I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. We got a whole two families of con artists right here. Okay? And Mizpah becomes the marker of witness before God that we don't trust each other. Okay? Now, I just want to spin this for you. I try to tell us all the time, if you don't read whole chapters and paragraphs and fly at 35,000 feet and get the big story, if you just read a verse of the day, you always come up with the wrong answer. I want to show you a picture. This is called a Mizpah coin. Has anybody ever seen this? They sell this at all the Christian bookstores and online. It's all over Etsy. It'll be all over. If you just Google Mizpah coin this afternoon, you'll find Mizpah bracelets and Mizpah pendants and Mizpah rings. And the Christian community took one verse out of context and they turned it into a Mizpah coin. And you give half of this coin to your best friend and you wear the other half of the coin and it has the words on it the Lord's going to watch over us until we meet one another. Is that the story? The story is if you cross this line, I'm going to shoot you on sight because I don't trust you. Do you see how you can change the meaning of the Bible to mean the exact opposite of what it actually means? Now, if you're wearing a mispa coin, I don't hate you. You don't have to lay it on the altar and confess your sins. You didn't know. But that is a joke. Can you imagine Christians wearing this around as besties and thinking we have a great relationship with God and with our best friends and God's looking at you like, holy mackerel, you're stupid. Can you be this dense to not see the story in the Bible is not telling, it's not a story of best friends. This is a story of people who were cheating each other, lying about each other, stealing from each other, and would shoot each other on sight if they crossed over the line of demarcation. The 38th parallel became the witness. They called it Mizpah and said the rockets and the tanks are on both sides. If you cross it, we'll have a war. Oh, can I give you a Mizpah coin, Brother Allen? You'll wear half and I'll wear half. And we'll hate each other all our lives, all right? All right, there's one little matter, really, we need to deal with before we close he gets everything right with Laban Laban goes back and now Jacob and all of us with him his wives his children his cows keep going east to the promised land but there's this one little matter hanging out there Esau the next time I see you I will kill you isn't it funny how your fat past has a way of circling back into your present now I want to say a few things to you right here I know my time's done God will forgive you of your sins and never bring them up again. The church needs to be in the business of letting people's sins be under the blood and never be brought up again. That needs to be our business as a community. But I can tell you, people that you have wronged in your life or have wronged you will very likely circle back into your life at some point. Maybe a year, maybe 10, maybe 20 if there's broken relationships in your past and people you've hurt, try to make it right. Okay? If people have hurt you, confess it and let it go. Don't expect them to come make it right and you can live a happy life. Okay? 
if people from your old life before you were saved or even after you were saved but you still weren't living right pop back up into your life you need to learn to say these words to them I'm a different person now than the guy you used to know you need to be able to say to your friends ma'am I'm a different person than the girl you used to know lots changed in my life since I saw you in high school in 1985 in your number right there you understand what I'm saying Christians you need to learn to say when people come back into your life from a previous job you meet them at a restaurant I met I met two church mem- two old church members at a restaurant a few days ago hadn't seen them in 20 years they left angry I walked into a restaurant and everybody's hugging everybody's necks and having a reunion let it go and move on just let it go and move on and learn to tell people I know I didn't do everything right before when you knew me before I was a mess I'm a different person now and I want you to know that that's a good enough answer okay so here comes Esau with 400 men 400 men and they're camped over that hill and in the morning when the Sun comes up Jacob's going to be face to face with his brother and during the night Jacob got up and took his wives and his slave women and his sons and he crossed before Jabbok and he took them and sent them across the stream along with his possessions and Jacob was left alone and there he wrestled with the man until daybreak this is a angel of the Lord pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus angel in the Old Testament a lot of mystery about this but you'll see it's something from God and whoever he's wrestling with says this to him in verse 28 your name will no longer be called Jacob it will be Israel Israel means you have struggled with God your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed and Jacob said please tell me your name and he said why do you ask my name he said just it's enough that I bless you and Jacob then named the place Peniel watch what Jacob says for I have seen God face to face and my life has been spared I want to say to you that God wants to change your life and make you into a different person when God met with Jacob for the second time Jacob becomes another pivot point he'll never be the old con artist again he'll never be the same again he still has a few things to work out but he's a different man from this night God changes his name maybe God's changed your name too used to be old hateful and old grumpy but not anymore used to be old I'll get you back used to be about revenge used to be about living for self used to be about whatever used to be about materialism but listen God's changed you and he wants you to go in a new direction now I want to say this your life will not change all at once usually but every one of these moments like we're having this morning becomes an opportunity for you to pivot closer in faith to Jesus Christ now I'm gonna tell you what happens Sun comes up and here comes Jacob 400 armed men when Jacob comes over uh, Esau comes over the rise Jacob gets down and walks before him and bows himself and says my brother and Jacob jumps down off of his horse uh, Esau jumps down off of his horse in front of 400 army man 
And Esau runs over and he grabs his brother in a bear hug. And he said, brother, I love you. The past is the past and all is forgiven. You say, how in the world does that happen? Because God's not just working in your heart. He's working in other people's hearts. Your God's big. And that conversation you're going to have to have with somebody, he's working in their heart. And that conversation you've got to have with a family member or an employee or an employer or someone, and you're stressed about that conversation and you're sweating bullets and you don't know how it's going to go, listen, give it to God and let God work on the other end of that thing. Listen, I've had a bunch of those conversations that I knew were going to be disastrous. And I sweated bullets and didn't get any sleep and rehearsed all the conversations in my head and prayed for God for it to work out. And we got together and everybody started crying and asking for forgiveness. And in a few minutes, everybody was besties. God can do that. One scene left and you've got the whole story. And God said to Jacob, get up and go to Bethel. Get up and go to the house of God. Now I'm going to summarize it. Put away all of your idols. I know you still got them. You tell Rachel, give them up. And they got rid of all the idols. He says, get rid of the idols. Everybody go take a shower. Everybody go put on your best clothes. We are going to the house of God. Just like my daddy. And just like my granddaddy. We're going to go back to where we were walking with God and talking with God. And we're going to go settle back at the house of God. And all this drama of our past, we're going to put it to rest. And we're going to live a healthy and happy life in the house of God for the rest of our days. Does that sound like a plan? And his whole family packed up and they went to the house of God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're going to make a decision time out of this this morning. You do not have to continue to be the old you. You may be saying, well, pastor, that's just the way I am. Stop it. Stop talking to yourself that way. The past does not have to have a hold on you, and you do not have to be who you've always been. God's Holy Spirit can transform your life from the inside out. You yield to Him. You make fresh vows, fresh covenants with Him. And as you've seen in the life of Jacob, he had to have two big, big pivot points in his life. I know most of you are saved people. And my message really is not about salvation. My message this morning is about the course of your life and the drama of your life and the failures of your life. And through all that you've ever been through as a human being, the one thing that's been consistent in the whole drama of your life it's God that's been consistent. You and I haven't been that consistent. But God has been faithful to us. I am God and I will always be with you. I am God and I will care for you. I am God, I'll help you get a job. I am God, I'll give you a place to live. I am God and I am capable of caring for my children. I am God and I will bless you. You bow this morning your head and your heart before a God that has blessed you immeasurably. You're living better than you've ever lived. You're healthy. You're happy. You are blessed people. 
I want to ask you, what about the vows you have made to God? He's been faithful now. He has done everything he said he would do for you. He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has blessed you. He has protected you. He has comforted you. I know who he is. What I'm asking is, what about your promises to God? You know, Jacob said, God, if you will do that, then I will be your people. I think this morning, this invitation is about Christians pivoting in their lives and making an act of rededication out of your life this morning. It's something you'll have to do a few times along the way as an adult. Once is good, but maybe there needs to be another one. You say, why? Because things happen. Life has some twists and turns. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ, some are already coming this morning. This is going to be a fresh start moment for some people today. The elders are here praying with people. If you want someone to pray with you and just make a formal moment of, you know what, this is a pivot point for me today. I know what God's done, and I want, to, I want to be the person who also says to God, God, I'm all in. I know what my parents did. I know who they were. But God, I'm going to take up this mantle of being your people into my own life. And I'd like to go further than my parents went. They were good people, but God, I can do more. If this is your moment, I want you to come and make some decisions. Maybe your next big decision is, I need to join the church. I need to be a covenant member with a body of Christians. Okay. I've got a deacon right here on the front row ready to talk to you about your next steps as a member. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. Miss Harrell's right here on the front row. She'll be glad to pray with you. Right now, you just come and pull up a seat beside her and say, Pray with me. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. This is my moment. The biggest shift in my life is about to happen right now. Come on, don't be embarrassed. Don't be bashful. You're in Bethel right now. You're in God's house. You're surrounded by God's people. This is where you are loved. Christians, you're praying right now because some people are making some very serious decisions. You lift them in prayer. Listen, maybe for all of us this morning, seeing what's happening in the world, maybe our prayer this morning is, God, our parents have, in their generation, financed the work of God. Maybe this is a moment to rededicate a portion of your wealth. Jacob said, God, if you'll do that, I'll give a tenth of everything I have to you. I'm not ashamed this morning to tell you you need to do likewise. I'm going to actually go beyond that and say to you, if the old con man like Jacob give 10% of his income, I'd like to see what a sold-out New Testament Christian could give. But it should far exceed that.
need to be saved or make a decision, you slip out of your seat and just come and join us right here. Somebody's ready to help you. Some beautiful things happening right now. Your story belongs right here beside all the other stories on the bookshelf of faith. Father, while Christians are making decisions, God, we have presented ourselves in the house of God. Lord, we don't have these old stone altars like Bethel. We have this place, and this becomes our house of God. Holy Spirit, you said this is your temple. You meet here with us, and God, we've presented ourselves before you. And Lord, in a way, all of our being present is saying to you, God, here we are. We are your people. We stand in solidarity in the kingdom of God this morning. God, thank you for the decisions that are happening in the hearts of people right now. God, I know some things need to change in everyone's life. We yield ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, right now. Transform us to be like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.